right, well, this morning we do have a special guest before our sermon. A few weeks ago we were talking about how one man plows, another man plants, and God grants the increase. And I started name-dropping different people, and one of them is here with us today to give us some words of encouragement, the original founding pastor of Calvary Chapel Hilton Head, Joseph Cope. So let's give Joseph a round of applause as he comes up, and we can all put a face to the name. You guys are awesome. I am so stoked to see you guys. You know, this is, uh, I was here a little while ago, and it's kind of funny. It's like even now what I want to share is just a tad bit different. But you know what? You guys are an answer to prayer. I don't know if you know that, but, I mean, you are an answer to somebody's prayer for being here. My family's been in this area since the 1700s. And it was in the night, it was in the 80s when I first discovered Calvary Chapel. And I remember just hearing my pastor say, you know, if you're just like the church down the street, just go join that church and be a stronger body. But if you can offer something different, then there's a legitimate reason for your existence. And, and, you know, Calvary Chapel is a, a different type of a church. And so I found myself, like many of you guys, praying that God would do a Calvary Chapel in this area. And so it was in... It was in 91 that I started praying, and over the next several years, just preparing for ministry to see what God was going to do in my life, but always praying for this area. And as I was sharing with, with Pastor Mike earlier, you know, South Carolina had this big black spot. There was like no Calvary chapels here at all. And so I had been praying for that God would start a Calvary chapel, and all of a sudden, it was like, you're the one that's going to go. I was sitting on the front row there at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and Pastor Chuck, my pastor, was going through the Great Commission, and, and he said, you know, you get into the verse, therefore, whoso, or, I'm looking at the wrong thing, he says, you know, you guys, that all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth, go therefore and teach all people, teach all nations. And I thought, Lord, well, what are you saying? Where am I to go? And the Lord said, I just want you to go home and share what you had learned. And so in 1997, in fact, it's ironic, I actually am in town because of a funeral. And Lord opened up the door for me just to share this morning. But, you know, it was 25 years ago this very Sunday that I got up, I put on a tie, and my wife goes, where are you going? And I was like, well, you know, we don't have a church yet, and let's just go fellowship somewhere until God could do something. She's like, Mrs. Cope goes, we'll be your congregation pastor. And, and I was like, okay, well, I read Galatians this morning. So Galatians chapter 1, we started, and that was 25 years ago this very Sunday. You know, and, and here's the thing. It was just following the calling of the Lord to go and to do something. But you know what? This is what I wanted to share with you guys. You guys have that same calling on your life. Because the Great Commission isn't just for a pastor to go in the, to a certain area. But it's for all of us. In fact, the Greek, to go, literally means as you are going. As you are going unto all people, teach them. So everybody you come in contact with, out there is the mission field. Out there, the people that you meet every day. And what are you to teach them? Well, all the things that God has shared with you. All the things that God has done in your life 
You're to teach them. You've heard it said, comfort those with the same comfort that you were comforted with as you're going through life. And maybe some of you guys here this morning are like on this mountaintop high with the Lord, like Peter. Oh, Lord, it's good that we are here. And you go out there and you're like, man, do you just know how good God is? And you share that experience with somebody. But then, you know, the vista views are great. But sometimes we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, aren't we? And as we're walking through that valley of shadow of death, we're just like struggling and trying to strive to get through life. And you know what? One of the things I've learned living in California and in the valleys is where all the fruit is grown. It's in those places where God is stretching you and maybe you're going through hardship, but you know what? It's okay. Count it all joy because it's going to produce fruit in your life and you can share that experience with other people. But there's also those times where you might think, hey, I'm not in a valley. I'm certainly not on a mountain part. I'm at the bottom of the canyon. I'm stretched out, prostrate on the ground, and I'm hurting. And if that's you this morning, hey, that's okay too. Because it's in that bottom part of the canyon that the rivers of living water are. And maybe sometimes that canyon's dry, but you know what? God said all you have to do is speak. Speak to the rock, and the water will flow. And there's times of refreshing for you guys in that lowest area of of the canyon. And, And, you know, here's the deal. No matter where you're at in life, God wants to use you. Wherever you're at in this community, whether you're at school or you're at work or on a golf course, and God, you guys have great golf courses. I miss them so much. And, uh, but, you know, wherever you're at in this place, share what you have learned, what you're learning here today. Take the message and give it to somebody else. And, and just see what the Lord might do in your life, what he might do in this fellowship, in this community. You guys are an answer to prayer. You're an answer to prayer because no matter where you're at, the fact that you guys exist here means somebody can always come here and fellowship. Locally, from out of these borders of the state, God wants to use you guys. So just continue just to be a light, in the darkness, be a light for the Lord. And, and I am just encouraged that you guys are here. I want to pray for you. Father, Lord, I lift up Calvary Chapel to you, Lord. I lift up every member of this fellowship, Lord, because they're just the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would just fill this ministry with just the love and the joy of knowing you, of loving you, of serving you. Lord, bless them abundantly. And Lord, we pray for a blessing upon this service Give us eyes to see you working in our lives. Give us, Lord, just a heart that is receptive to what you want to speak to us today. And, Lord, may our ears not just listen, but may our hearts just obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I was sharing with um, Joseph this story I've shared with you guys when I was at the Bible college at the pastor's conference and he just came, and he was you know, practically prophesying, when you're coming to South Carolina, it's going to be great, and yada, yada, yada. And I, I was sharing with him, and I was all, all excited, and he goes, yeah, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> it just reminds us that you never know, you know, the small interactions that God is using. Well, this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're picking up where we left off in verse 15. Remember that Paul has picked up this section here in chapter 8. He was talking about meat offered unto idols. We were talking about the liberty 
that we have in Christ and living by grace. And then it seemed like he changed the subject in chapter 9 when he was talking about how the church should provide uh, for the ministers, that you shouldn't muzzle the ox that treads the grain, how the fellowship should support its teachers. And then he said he doesn't do that. And, and here he's going to see why, and we're going to show how it all connects together, this law of liberty, of grace, that we are to follow after the Lord. Now, we say things like living a gospel-centered life or being living by grace, and we don't really understand sometimes what does that mean. And that's kind of church lingo, a gospel-centered life. Well, what is the gospel? What does that mean to be a disciple? What does that mean to live by grace, the unmerited favor of God? And why did Paul decide that he was going to forego these blessings that he spoke so strongly about? Well, that's what we're going to see this morning as we jump into verses 15 and 16. But let's go before the Lord in prayer as we get into the text. Lord, we pray that you would share with us exactly what you want. And that you would plant your word in our hearts, Lord, and that it would bear fruit and that we would go into all the world and share this gospel. Help us to apply your word. Help us to grow in your word. And most importantly, help us this morning to live a gospel-centered life. We thank you and we praise you for this word in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, Paul is continuing right where he left off. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, Paul is saying from the previous section I refuse to accept this money to get this support because it doesn't further the gospel. I want to share this message. This message is the most important thing. And we have to check ourselves. See, Paul is not motivated to plant churches for the sake of going to church. Paul's not motivated on going on a speaking tour or starting a podcast or writing books. He's not interested in financial gain. He's not interested in how he's seen or respected in the community. He is living for one thing and one thing only, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not interested in personal pleasure. He's not interested in what the church can do for him. In fact, he says that if there is anything at all that gets in the way, I would rather die. He doesn't say, well, I'd rather be discomforted or I'd rather give a certain percentage. No, he says, if my very breath is discouraging someone from eternity, it's better that I'm not around. And, and that is radical. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, he had said, lest I hinder the gospel of Christ, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, the gospel is about Jesus not the church. Well, what is the gospel? We know that Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the word gospel means good news in the Greek. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
and it is the power of salvation. That's what his life is about. That's what it is to be a Christian. We're not churchians. We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. This is about sharing the message that through Jesus Christ alone, people who are destined for eternal damnation in hell are sent to eternity in heaven to rule and reign with him as Christians. That is the gospel. Unmerited favor. It's not about building churches. It's not about making our, our family stronger. It's not about our marriages or what's in our income. It's not about our comfort or our entertainment. Now, many of those things come as fruit of the gospel, fruit of the good news, the, the message of salvation. But if a church gets in the way of this message, get rid of it. Paul says, if my very breath gets in the way of this message, get rid of it. Now, we know what the gospel does, but what is the gospel? What is this message itself? In, in Romans 10, verses 9 through 13, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We'll pause there before we continue. There's so many that want to insert things in between the commas here and, and get baptized and go to this church and get recorded and tie 10% and, and, and no, faith plus nothing. Faith in Christ plus nothing equals salvation. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And he continues in verse 10, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No ifs, ands, or buts, as my mom used to say. Faith alone in Christ alone. But this isn't a matter of just forcing confessions. You know, if I could just drag people into church and just say, believe in Jesus, or just fill up the seats, we'd be like, okay, we're, we're doing something here. You know, it's not even about building up churches. It, it's not about being popular in the book club. It's not about having our best life now. None of those things matter. It is introducing people to the living Lord, and he saves them as they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart. He fills them with the Holy Spirit, and he changes people's eternal destination. That's what this is all about. Now, how are we tying this? How are we tying this to what Paul's talking about? Meat offered unto idols, receiving financial um, blessings as a, as a leader, a teacher in the, in the scripture. Paul is saying this law of liberty, all things are lawful for me, but I will not come under the power of any. He's saying any decision that we make should be dedicated to furthering this message, to share the gospel with other people. And, and too often we get distracted and we say, how are you blessing me? What am I receiving? What, what's in it for me? Paul says the opposite. He says, I would rather die in this text if I am in the way of the, the message of salvation. Now, I want to reiterate, the gospel is not an idea. It's not a philosophy. The literal risen Lord, God descended, became a man in the flesh. He lived amongst us. He was literally crucified and died. 
He literally rose again from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven, sending us the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, later on in chapter 15, Paul's going to explain this very thing in verses 1 through 6 when he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by also you are saved. If you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again from the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. We're going to go through that when we get to chapter 15, you know, four years from now at my pace, if the Lord tarries. And he's going to say, we saw him. Other people saw him. This isn't a philosophy or an idea. This is a fact. Our hope, this gospel message, is a historical fact. And we can dedicate our lives to it. Paul says, I would rather not breathe, not be comforted, not be encouraged, not receive money, Anything that I can lay down for the furtherance of the gospel, I am for it. And we, unfortunately, we in our flesh want to look at this liberty in a completely different context. What can I get away with? What can I do and still have God pleased with me? Especially with as church planting. The conversation has been about church planting, starting churches. You know, when Joseph started Calvary Hilton Head, and then the Lord closed those doors, and then we came and we started. So many times you hear, well, what kind of children's ministry do you have? What kind of opportunities do you have? Do you have this ministry and that ministry? What times? Oh, those times don't really work for me. What kind of worship do you have? And it's critiquing, what can, how can you bless me? And it's not even about this gospel message. It's about how could you bless me, prosper me, entertain me? And Paul is saying for the Christian, it is the opposite. How much can I give up? How much can I get out of the way? For Christ. See, many ask, what is in it for me? What can Christ do for me? As opposed to, what can I give to the Lord? What can I give back to Him? Paul says he's not even going to boast in this. Because what is he receiving? Eternal salvation. Saved from death, from hell, from the devil. Not only allowed into the kingdom, not only preserved from that, but to rule and reign with the Lord that saves us by grace. And so we're to use that grace, we're to use that liberty for others. See, some believers give it all. Paul is one of them. Others want to get it all. What am I going to get blessed with? What's in it for me? Now in verses 17 and 18, he's going to continue this thought when he says, For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with the stewardship, what is my reward then? That, that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I might not abuse my authority in the gospel. So here he's, at, he's answering the direct question. Why am I not receiving this money? Because I don't want anyone to say that's what I'm doing it for. I'm doing it 100% for the gospel itself. I want everyone to know the message, the message is the most important thing. What message? That Jesus Christ was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, 
that whosoever confesses with their mouth, believes in their heart, the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Anything else doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Now, some of us have never, ever lived a gospel-centered life. Some of you, this is the first time you've ever heard this in your life. It's radical. Absolutely. When Jesus walked up to the apostles, he said, come with me. And they dropped all that they had, and they followed him. Some of you have lived this life before, but maybe you've been worn down. It's a long journey. And you started to take a break. You started to take it easy. You took your foot off the gas, and you started to rest. And then that season became a little too long. Some of us have just taken a break. It's like, yeah, you know, I had a season of this, and it was tough, but now, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, doing things for me now. Some of you, though, have fallen. You've tripped. You've stumbled. You knew this, but somewhere along the lines, it changed. But you can start today. You can restart today. And some of you, we're going to kickstart today, but only in the Holy Spirit. And begin the same way that we start. We remember that text in Galatians that we quoted last week. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You lay down your rights. You lay down the liberty that you have, the grace that you have. And you say, what can I give to you, Lord? See, Paul is not a superhero. You know, we, we, we start to think that these people, they're impossible to be like. But what did Paul tell us in chapter 2? in the Corinthians. He said in verses 1 through 5, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not of persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There was a pretty good sermon about it. You might want to go get online, you know, here a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now. But Paul is saying he has no power. Nothing in him is good. He's saying the Holy Spirit is the only reason why it's working. He said, I didn't come because of a great speaker, because of my wisdom, none of that. And so the same thing is true of us. You know, we talk about living a gospel-centered life, being a disciple, being a Christian. And, but we don't always talk about, well, what else can I give up for the gospel? How am I really living for the gospel? You see, churchians are not always good Christians. What is a churchian? You, know, you come to church, you, you're a part of the fellowship, you know, felt you're learning a lot of things, you're following some biblical wisdom, you may even confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But a Christian is a follower of Christ. And a follower of Christ is something completely different. Jesus said that we're to pick up our cross and follow after him. We're to pick up this death instrument. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We lay down our lives for others, not for ourselves. A churchian is well-fed, well-ministered to. They're receiving a lot of things. They're maybe partaking of a lot. Good children's ministry, you know, good... Um, coffee ministry, that's rare these days. You got all these different good worship, you know, good encouragement, keeping a good job, tithing the right amount, you know, going through the motions. A Christian is a radical follower of Christ who says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
It's tough. You know, I was talking to Joseph. He, he had to close a church. I had to close a church. And you realize, you know, it's not about, because you're like, man, am I a, a failure? Did I do this wrong? And you realize we don't serve the church. We serve Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. We are Christians. We're followers of him. Maybe some of you have been beat up. Maybe some of you are encouraged. Maybe some of you are on the top. Maybe some of you are at the bottoms. Maybe some of you just need to get a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. If Calvary Chapel stops following Jesus Christ, burn the whole thing down. We'll start from scratch. Because who cares? I'm going to tell you, outside here, nobody cares about Calvary Chapel. Nobody. Nobody. And neither should we. Because we need to be living gospel-centered lives. It's about eternity. Calvary Chapel doesn't send anyone to heaven. Jesus Christ saves. He fills people with his spirit. And he brings them home to rule and reign with him. And as long as we do those things, then God will bless it as we follow him. Now, Paul is going to show us how in this portion of the chapter. It's one thing to know what. We know what the gospel is. We know the why to live a gospel-centered life. Like, how do we do this now? Well, in verses 19 through 23, it says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Verse 23 now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Now, first and foremost, I want to tell you right off the bat, Paul is not a hypocrite. He is not lying. He's not a chameleon. He's not changing the message. He's not sneaky with anything. So who do we look to? We can look to Jesus Christ as our ultimate example of how to be all things to all people. When Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, he taught from the Old Testament. He taught from the law. He showed them from the law how they were in error. But what did he share when he was with the woman at the well? He's living water. Right there at the well where she was at. Look at this water. You pull this water and you're thirsty, but I have water that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. He comes to every person exactly where they're at. It's about others-centered, not self-centered. You see, if you say to yourself, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just this way. You're wrong. See, Christ is first. The gospel is first. That is the emphasis here. What does he say there in verse 23? Now this I do for the gospel's sake, the message, the message of eternity, of forever. All of his decisions are based on sending this message. We may think that he wants to start all these churches. We may think that he wants to have these people follow him and like him and say, no, 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 he's saying, even if I breathe, if my heart beating is getting out of the way of this message, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm going to lay it all down. He is willing to dispense with any emotion, any feeling, any background, any creature comfort to share this message. We said earlier that the gospel is not a philosophy. It's not an idea. It's a fact that we can trust in. And the same thing is true with Paul. When he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When he says, I would rather die, that's not figurative. 
when he went to that town and they, they t- stoned him as unto death and they pulled him out to the city gates outside and they left him there. Whether he was dead or not, we don't know and neither did he. But he got back up and what did he do? Man, that's good. I, I let, it, let it go. I'm going to get out of here now. I've done my duty. You know what? I've gone too far. I'm going to go to the retirement home. I'm going to go play in those Hilton Head golf courses now and relax because I did my duty. I went to the extreme. It says hey, he got back up went back into the town and taught the very same message, the gospel message, because his life didn't matter. Now, for some of us, we're not talking about life and death. We're talking about an emotion. You know, some people don't even like talking to new strangers because they have an anxiety. What are they going to think? What are they going to do? How are they going to react? Well, if you're dead, who cares? They're, they're, they're gonna, not going to like you. And it says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What does that mean? Well, I just want everyone to like me, but this isn't about you. It does not matter. Now, this word here is for those here that are, that are teaching. You're in the youth ministry. You're an you know, assistant pastor or a teaching leader. People are not going to like you. They're going to say bad things about you. They're going to gossip. They're going to judge you. They're going to criticize you. Here's the encouragement. Who cares? They criticize the Lord. They criticize Paul. They criticize the prophets. They criticize everyone. Who cares? We are dead. And if their criticism furthers the gospel, then so be it. Because it's not self-centered. It's other-centered. Well, how extreme is that? What does that really mean? Well, listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, For we do not preach ourselves but Christ the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Who, whose bondservants? Your bondservants. What does that mean? We don't use that word bondservant anymore. That means a voluntary slave. How many decisions does a slave get to make? None. What's their pay? None. Oh, I don't want to eat that this morning. Don't get a choice. I want to sleep in this morning and not work. Slaves don't get that option. I have a bad boss. I want a new one. I want to get a different job. Slaves don't get that option. Now, we know we're servants of Christ, but those of us that are following that are gospel-centered, we are your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now, it doesn't mean I serve you, that you're my master. Now, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ. He is our master, but we are bondservants for your sake. So we may say, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm a Christian. No, I'm a disciple. I'm a follower. Are you living a gospel-centered life, an others-centered life, or are you living a self-centered life? Who's first in your life? Are you first? Are all your decisions based on what you think, how you feel? You know, is your stomach making all your choices for you? What restaurant you got to go to? Your mental well-being, your comforts, your plans, your financial future? Your pride, your ego, well, they just didn't say hi to me. I'm not going to say hi to them back anymore, those jerks. Oh, the pastor didn't say hi to me. I'm going to quit and go to another church. It's like, no, our, our other first is Jesus first, and foremost is the gospel first, is the message of the gospel first. I read in Wiersbe's commentary, he was sharing a story about a lady that was in his fellowship that boiled her water and bathed in it quote-unquote, like the old days. She didn't want central heating. She didn't want a water heater. She didn't want to pay for those because all that money was going to missionaries, to the gospel. 
Now, that was a long time ago. That's more common than it is now. But what are we saying? Are we saying that we need to live like that? No, we're not saying we need to live like that. I would prefer you all bathe, you know, because I don't want the church to stink. It'd be a stumbling block to the world. But what are we, what are we insinuating here? You know, what if the Lord had you for, your, for the last decade saving up that trip to Italy? You know, you've been saving it up. You got all hundreds of dollars, ten dollars, a couple pennies. You putting it on in there, and right before you go on the trip, the Lord says, "I want you to give it to a missionary in South Africa." And you'd be like, "Okay, Lord, if you really mean that, it's eleven fifty-nine tomorrow. I'd like it to rain for thirty seconds, two lightning bolts, then back to hundred degrees." Well, if you're in South Carolina, that's like every day. <clears throat> but you want to have a quadruple check on the Lord. What if you lived a life where you're just like, whatever, okay, cool. I'm not saying you're supposed to do that. No, you need to follow the Lord. Remember, it's his gospel, it's his message, it's his plan. But when we say those things like, oh, yeah, I'm a good Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm a follower. I'm a disciple. Compared to what? Compared to who? See, the church, unfortunately, in America, we've we've been teaching it all wrong. We've been encouraging it all wrong. What can I do for Christ instead of what Christ can do for me is what we're supposed to be? How can I bless others? I said earlier that if you say that you are a certain way and you're not going to change, then you're absolutely in in opposition to the Bible. You're a contradiction to the Scriptures. You're not a follower of Christ, not a disciple at least. We must lay down our lives. Paul says in this text, I would rather die, and it's not just an exaggeration. Anything that gets in the way. And his, he's saying here, I don't take money from the church because I want all that money to go to the gospel. And he's saying, I don't do it in pride. I'm doing it because it's the gospel. The gospel is the reward, eternity. And remember, this is all emphasized on eating meat offered unto idol. Yes, Idols are not real. There's only one God in heaven. There's no other gods around him, near him. They don't exist. They're all figments of man's imagination or Satan's imagination or demonically inspired. He alone sits in the heavens. But then he says, but don't do it lest you stumble your brother because we're worried about others more than ourselves. We don't use the law of liberty to benefit us, but as bond servants to others, it's about the gospel. So how do we do that? Well, Paul knows us, the Holy Spirit knows us, and so he's going to explain even further here in verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run it in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So in running, anything that weighs us down, anything that we're trying to take with us, ditch it. Ditch it. Start taking it off. Get get rid of it. No marathon runners running with a hiking pack. Well, I might need some water and I, I might need my my ration for later in my tent. It might get cold if I put my sweater in here. All creature comforts, goodbye, ditch it to run this race. We think about 
as one beating the air. I want to use a boxing analogy because that's what Paul did, and I want to get the guys back on board here. When you train for a fight, do you get up late, eat donuts? Maybe I would. Train when you feel like it. Well, I feel like, I feel like working out today. No, I don't feel like working out today. I'm going to just take it easy. No, when you train for an important match, many times trainers or um, uh, athletes will leave their families. They'll go up into the mountains where there's less air. It's harder to breathe. And then they get up at 3.30, 4 in the morning. They run five, six miles every day. They'll sleep on a cot just to be tougher. Then they'll come back. They have a perfectly set diet. They're not going to eat whatever they feel like. They're going to have the exact calories, the exact nutrition, exactly what is needed, and nothing more, nothing less. Then they're going to spend three to four hours in sparring sessions, boxing, um, heavy bags, speed bags, focus mitts. Then they're going to go to bed watching film of the different matches who they're going against. They're going to get rid of every single thing they possibly can to exercise and discipline to be victorious. And that's what Paul says. I'm not as one who beats the air, shadow boxing in the corner. He says, for the message of the gospel, I strip it all down to the lowest common denominator. He says he didn't want to get married. He didn't receive finances here in this portion. He didn't want to eat meat offered unto idols. To the Jews, he became a Jew. To the Greek, he became a Greek. It didn't matter if he was shipwrecked, if he was stoned, if he was whipped. It didn't matter if he was robbed. It didn't matter if he was arrested. It didn't matter if he was put in jail in courts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees or courts of Rome. Did not matter. What was number one? Building churches? No. Having a podcast? No. Book tour? No. The gospel. Sharing the message of salvation. Some of us need that encouragement this morning because maybe you were living like this at one time. And you just start the same way that you started. You just get back up. You die to yourself daily. You say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Remember, Paul showed us the secret earlier in chapter 2. It's not by wisdom, not by his excellence, it's by the Holy Spirit. We yield to him and live for others as we continue to share the gospel. We get rid of the things that get in the way. For most of us, it's just your thoughts, your emotions, your attitudes, your baggage. Just get rid of it. Ditch it. I find it fascinating in ministry that the most complicated problems we have have the simplest answer. Read your Bible, go to church, and pray. I mean, 90% of all the problems that are brought to me can be handled with those three things. Just yield to Christ. We need to do what Jesus told us to do in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Too many of us are focused on, oh, what's added to us? Instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. Because that is for eternity. One life will soon be passed, but only what's done for Christ will last. From eternity, from everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. And yet we get distracted into only living for ourselves, only living to fulfill our own comforts, our own needs. How am I going to be blessed? What does God have for me? What is he going to teach me? Is he going to entertain me? Is he going to have this fellowship good or that fellowship? No, this one's better for me here and this one's better than that. Instead of where does God want me to be so I can further the gospel? Where does God want to be so that I can lay down my life for my friends? 
Where does God want me to be so that he is first and I am last? Where I can truly live out those words, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's, t- it's time for us to leave. It's time for us to close this sermon out. But I was just sharing with Kevin Icon. Kevin Icon, he's going to go teach in another church in a couple weeks, one of our elders. He's really nervous about it. And I told him, bro, in a couple weeks, no one's going to remember what you said anyway, so what does it matter? Just give it to the Lord. He's like, oh, that's, that's, not, that's not that very nice. And I said, okay, tell me what I taught three weeks ago. It was in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> yeah, that's, I said, exactly. But we, we plant the seed. God grants the increase. It doesn't matter, so just give it to the Lord. Well, well here's what I want to get at this morning and why I brought that up. It's one thing to shake your head. Oh, yeah, this is great, powerful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's another thing to remember a couple weeks from now. It is a far different level entirely to actually change the way you live. It is a completely different thing to receive this message from the Lord filled with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God implanted in your heart, and to actually change decisions in your day-to-day life. Imagine what would happen to this fellowship if we did this. Many of you will not. I don't blame you. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But we must do what Paul said. We must yield to the Holy Spirit. Be filled again, filled afresh. Be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged and leaning on Christ, Lord, lead me. Give me this victory. And then I want to leave you with this verse in Romans. As we go out and live gospel-centered lives, we go out and preach the gospel. It's in Romans ten fifteen. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? That's you. That's you. That's not the other guy. That's you. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, the gospel of peace who brings glad tidings of good things. You are blessed as you share the gospel. You have been entrusted with that message of salvation. God saves. We save no one. We shouldn't be about building churches. We shouldn't be about being better organized. We should be about what can we get rid of to further the gospel in our lives? How is he leading us? And so let's pray that the Holy Spirit fills us and equips us to do this work. Lord, we pray this morning, as you shared Paul and showed with him and you're showing us, fill us with your spirit. Help us be like John the Baptist. We must decrease, you must increase, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Those of us that need to be kick-started and refreshed, I pray that you would confirm that in your spirit this morning. Those of us that have never heard this, Lord, and are radically challenged, I pray that they lay it all down at your feet, that you show them and encourage them. We thank you that we can do nothing apart from you. We don't take any pride in this. We don't take any ownership of it. We lay it all down to you. We want to be bond servants to others, Lord, followers of you as we share your gospel to the world, the only way of salvation. Teach us and direct us week after week in your word and let your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to have brothers and sisters up here to pray with you, share with you. If the Lord was telling you something, share it with somebody else. It's the best way to get it out. God bless you and have a wonderful week.